When I was a child, I was trained very early to be a night owl in my life, the reasons for which are many and complicated. A mother that worked several jobs to make ends just meet, many of which were in the middle of the night, to a father and family and life that would ebb and flow. My fondest memories are of nightfall, of the setting sun, of the pitch black of a new moon, and the stillness of winter evenings. But also my most heartbreaking memories rest there as well. Outside of this setting, though, there were many mundane habits and experiences that came with being a night owl. First, and this remains to be seen if it's good or bad or simply an in-between, I will always be my most productive in the evening. And second, I have a rather high tolerance for bad TV. (laughs) And if you remember the late 80s and early 90s, television was not what it is today. Channels would still sign off for the evening, and sure enough, as midnight crept closer, blue screen advertisements and I Love Lucy reruns would dominate television screens. Now I remember one show in particular. It began simple enough and immediately touched upon my budding religious interests as a child. It involved a man entering a rather futuristic-looking building, lots of exposed metal beams, an elevator taking him high above the city below, people coming and going in a massive lobby. I am hard-pressed to find a vision of the future that doesn't enrapture me, even if it involves dystopic or gloomy images. This one, however, was optimistic. Ethereal music played in the background, and it was clear this man was on a quest. A quest we would soon learn to be the holy grail of all quests. He had a question that needed answering. At first appearance, it might seem like a question to which an answer will eventually be found. Or perhaps the answer is locked away in the depths of the earth or the farthest reaches of the galaxy. An answer that some sage or prophet of ages past may have written down, not knowing what they were discovering. The question was the question of all questions. The one our species has perhaps been trying to answer since we first became conscious. What is the meaning of life? The man rode the elevator to the very top and walked out on a metal platform. He approached a giant screen before him, and suddenly it turned on. Hello, Phil, the screen read. A conversation ensued, and the man we've come to know as Phil posed his question to the giant screen, whose name, we learn, is simply Wall. The Great Wall that holds all of the knowledge of the universe and will illuminate us with answers to any question we pose. It is at this point in the story that things start to unravel. Instead of answering the question, Wall allows a woman dressed in white to appear, very Big Brother-like. She's friendly enough, but begins to launch into a dialogue that Phil, our hero of the story, is excited about. What if Phil could walk away with all of the knowledge of the universe himself, with great meaning, with depth, with engagement, and not just for himself, but for his family and friends too. What's not to like about this proposition? 
The woman then introduces the purpose of this television show. It was not a science fiction show. It wasn't an obscure 80s film about corporations run amok or even a piece that causes us to question how much information we truly need in our lives. No, it was just an infomercial. And the woman in white and the all-knowing wall were there to sell Phil and anyone else the latest, greatest invention known to mankind, the Philips CDI, also known as the Compact Disc Interactive. (laughs) If you've never heard of this piece of equipment, don't feel bad, it no longer exists. Here was a piece of technology that allowed you and you in the year 1990 to access an encyclopedia, games such as tennis, that was a highlight, and movies all from the comfort of your living room. Yes, here was the answer to the question, what is the meaning of life? (laughs) The commercial ends and Phil takes home this remarkable piece of equipment his question left unanswered. But, we are told, all the tools he needs to answer it in hand for three easy payments of (laughs) $39.99. I did indeed have a high tolerance for bad television, and still do. It is amazing how certain things stick with your mind whether you want them to or not. I remember this infomercial as clear as day. It is equally amazing how something as ridiculous as an infomercial could have a lasting impact on how you move about the world. I invite you to think of your own similar ridiculous moments and experiences that have stuck with you, and I look forward to hearing about them if you want to share them with me later. But what this silly infomercial imparted to me was not a fancy new gadget that has been long extinct, nor was it even that entertaining. It was just something to watch that hit upon one of my favorite genres, science fiction. No, what it did impart, the impact that was indeed lasting, was how it began with an impossible question. What is the meaning of life? We've all asked it. Perhaps we're even tortured by it in this very moment. Or maybe we think we found the answer. But it is what might, some might call a really good question, because it does not have an immediate answer. Questions are a part of life. And as Unitarian Universalists, we thrive on questions. But even more so, we begin asking them as toddlers, sometimes with a zeal that it frustrates and exhausts our parents to no end. But the questions continue as we grow. New experiences, good or evil or gray, prompt us to wonder who, what, when, where, why, and how. And the befuddling, the mysterious, the complex, and sometimes the simple all cause us to pause and ask a question. And it might feel like the types of questions we ask are endless in their nature, shape, and form. But not so. Many folks disagree. Two theorists by the name of Ronald Heifetz and Peter Block say that there are only two types of questions we ask our entire lives. For Peter Block, he puts it simply. We either ask questions that begin with how, or we ask questions that begin with yes. He continues, when we ask how, we are asking easy questions. 
Questions that assume a quick fix. Questions that keep us busy, that create noise in our lives, and concern us with the minutia of everyday life. Which is not all bad, don't get me wrong. When we ask how to do something, sometimes we really need to know. When we ask how, something, how much something costs, that is a valid question. But for Block, his focus is on the questions we ask in communities like this church. He asserts that when we live purely in the realm of asking how, how do we do X, Y, Z? How long will it take? How much will it cost? We are at once taking the easy route and avoiding true commitment. Leadership theorist Ronald Heifetz refers to these how questions as technical questions. They are questions for which there is an established process by which they can easily be addressed. And there's a logical order to the solution. And again, it's not a completely terrible thing. If a light bulb goes out, you follow the steps to change the light bulb. But the concern of both Block and Heifetz is that when these questions seep into areas of community, community life that ask of us a deeper commitment. For example, churches often ask questions such as, how do we become more welcoming? The question itself suggests there is a set of steps, a formula, a directive from someone else that will answer it for us. Now, what's wrong with that? Some people might wonder. In communities such as ours, questions around welcoming do not have a formula. I have about 30 books on my shelves in my office that try to tell me, do this and the church you serve will become the land of milk and honey. But let me tell you, it doesn't work that way. Those of you that have ever been on a membership committee in any organization know this well. For a church to become welcoming or any question we often ask ourselves, be it around stewardship and finances, diversity, growth and change, it must first ask of itself what really matters. And for us to ask questions around what really matters, what truly, deeply matters to both ourselves and one another, there is no formula, there is no book, there is no quick fix. This is where the other type of question pops up, what Peter Block calls yes questions. At first, it's a confusing name, but here's what it boils down to. When we ask about what matters, we start to find possibilities. We find creativity, and we find vulnerability. We say yes to opening up to a journey that is at once personal and communal. But wouldn't it be easier to just buy new signs, to put visitors on the spots with different colored coffee mugs, or to ask someone else to answer the questions for us? It would. But when we deal with what really matters in life and in community, things such as welcoming and stewardship and whatever else our vision holds, we are tasked with being adaptive, with being a people that live into the questions, knowing that an answer is not the end goal but the journey is. Peter Block suggests several pairings of questions and highlights the difference between asking how and asking questions that open us up to possibility. Instead of asking, how will we get those people or that problem to change? He says we should ask instead, what is my contribution to the problem I am concerned with? 
In other words, do we have skin in the game and are we willing to do so? Instead of asking, how do you do it? Or how long will it take? He suggests asking, what is the commitment I am willing to make? I feel like this is an important one in churches because they are what you make them. If we are a Sunday-only church, it is because the members made it so. If we wring our hands about a lack of volunteers, it is because we have in some way made commitment an optional endeavor. Another parallel. Instead of asking, what is everyone else doing? We should ask instead, what do we want to create together? It all goes back to having skin in the game. But also it gets to the creativity that is asked of us if we want to talk about what is meaningful and impactful. We will always need a quick fix for burst pipes, dirty floors, and light bulbs that need changing. But what our communities also need is the empowerment and freedom that comes from, with focusing our time and energy on what really matters. Creative, co-creative, vulnerable, and enriching explorations of our humanity. The freedom we find in this, in reshaping the questions we ask and live into, is not a freedom that is often interpreted to mean we can do whatever we want, whenever we want, without regard to anyone around us. It is instead about embracing the knowledge that we are, yes, the authors of our own experience, but by extension, we are accountable for the well-being of all that is around us, because that directly impacts our own experience, too. While that might sound focused on the individual, it calls us to remember how intricately interconnected our experience is with that of those around us. It is what Unitarian Universalists call the interdependent web. You hear about it often. When we understand that and feel that, we come to a realization that the light bulbs of the world will still be changed, but life is frighteningly short. And we need to say yes to questions that unlock possibilities and meaningful commitment. How are you living into questions that matter here at UUCL? What possibilities are you discovering and co-creating with others? Are we even asking questions that are about the journey and not a definitive answer? If we find ourselves saying no, I ask us all to wonder why that is. Is it a fear of being vulnerable? Is it a memory of a time when our individual and collective creative power was denied in the name of ego? Is it a belief that no matter how many resources we have, it's never enough? Is it because we don't have any skin in the game? Skin that wasn't printed at the Treasury Department. Your UUCL staff has been waiting into little moments where we start to get an internal weather check. If a meteorologist were giving a forecast for this church, what would they say? The feedback we've begun collecting is indeed useful but it isn't immediately reachable. But what it has done is start shaping some questions, journeys, that we can embark upon. Journeys and possibilities that will ask us to confront our humanity, to be vulnerable, and more importantly, to focus on what matters. Ultimately, though, it's up to all of you to not just ask, but live the questions that will transform this place. Not by the answers, but by the shared journey. 
What commitments are we willing to make? What are we contributing to the problems we are concerned with? What do we want to create together? As the Catholic mystic Edward Hayes wrote, O blessed one, you whose voice calls me to the sacred path of the pilgrim, I wish to seek you with all my heart. Are we pilgrims here at UUCL? Are we on a journey or are we passive observers? And if any of those questions bring discomfort, then good. It means we are on the edge of vulnerability and you have my permission to jump. I leave you with the words of Peter Block. We are a community of possibilities, not a community of problems. Community exists for the sake of belonging and takes its identity from the gifts, generosity, and accountability of its citizens. It is not defined by its fears, its isolation, or its penchant for retribution. We currently have all the capacity, expertise, programs, leaders, regulations, and wealth required to end unnecessary suffering and create an alternative future. May it be so. Blessed be. Amen.